morning. Um, it is good to see all of you. It's good to be back. Uh, I'll tell you right now, I appreciated the time off from the pulpit. And I really appreciated the opportunity to learn from Pastor Otua and from Grace, especially last week. Last week, two sermons on one Sunday. It's a unique thing. Um, but I'll tell you, it's nice to be back up here. Next, uh, in a few weeks, we'll bring Otua back uh, to send him off well at the end of the month. We're going to officially send him off to commission him and his core team as, uh, with prayer. And hopefully it'll be in a location where we can have even more people gathering together. Now I want to say, for those of you who are tuning in for the very first time, I'm Pastor Abe. Uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Now for those of you who've been listening and watching for a while now, um, I don't think we have this problem anymore, but I know that our live stream had a little bit of weirdness with the audio and the video not always syncing up. So, you know, you might see a somber face or hear a chill tone, but then suddenly see wild gesticulations or movements. It's like a really bad foreign movie dubbing job kind of thing where the words just don't match the lips. Um, I know that there are, there are a few things that are out of our control, but everything that is in our control, Gabor has been working tirelessly over time to figure out what's going on. But I'll tell you, if it is not working out well, if it's out of sync, maybe that's a sign for you that it's time to uh, come back in person because it's fine here. Um, I'll tell you, regardless of whether you're joining us for the very first time or maybe it's the 64th time, and I've counted, 64th time, I want to be sure that you're somehow connected to our community, our beloved body of believers. So I'm going to ask, if you're not, please text COTV to 97000, or you can go to our website, cotv.life. Just tap the Connect With Us button, and we can get you connected. Um, it's Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, summer is here officially, and the weather actually is showing that. Yesterday, not so much, a couple days. So this is the time for our summer COTB picnic. And so the COTB Party Planning Committee, they've chosen to hold the picnic at Humble Park today. It's near the Cultural Center. We'd love to see all of you there. So after service at noon, we asked, please, even if you didn't sign up, come join us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> right now I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind, would you join me in prayer as we prepare to unpack God's word? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your tender mercies, for your loving grace, for your awesome glory. May the words of my mouth forever be a conduit of your truth alone, God. May this time now be enlightening to your beloved children and satisfying to you, God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So as I mentioned, we took a short break from our Philippians, the Epistle of Joy sermon series, so that Pastor Otua could do a little short three-week mini-series uh, as he finished his tenure at COTB. And, I, and I, I'll say it once more, we're going to take time at the end of June to dedicate Otua to God and to, to commission him and his team, his core group, through prayer as he plants a new church in the Chicago area. You know, because ultimately we will continue to walk side by side with him, asking uh, in prayer and encouragement and in support as well. But since it's been a minute, I thought it might be good to give a quick recap of where we've been in this epistle of joy. On the first episode of this sermon series, I presented a joy formula. Jesus, others, you. If you put Jesus first and others next, that will equal your joy. 
The second uh, week, I preached on how Paul loved Jesus first. And as a result, in so doing, the gospel was elevated. His sisters and his brothers were encouraged, and ultimately, Paul was eclipsed. Episode three, the one main point from that particular message was that the fruit of living for Christ is the progress and the joy of your sisters and your brothers in their faith. Because we are called to strive together for the gospel, walking side by side, to jump into that pit together, to, to grab onto each other and say, hey, I've been here before. I know the way out. Let's do this together. Let's grow in our faith together. And before uh, Otua stepped in with this short series, we did Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. And, and the primary message was this, that in order for us to live as the beloved of God, uh, we need to understand that Christian humility results from a Christ mentality that leads to a Christ-like ecstasy or joy. Which brings us to today's passage. And we're just going to focus on the first half of what was read today. Sorry about that, Andrew. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I think most folks who are listening, and most of you listening and sitting here today would agree that music is a big part, a huge part of culture in general. It's always been that way. Music is just really important. A good song comes on in your playlist and you immediately want to say, I, I want to hear that again. You hit repeat. I'll tell you, I remember back in the day when I was younger, sitting with my boombox, listening to the radio. I have blank cassette tape and I'll be waiting for that perfect song or next song to come on. Like For me, it was Come On Eileen or Take On Me by AHA for the, you know, A Little Respect by Razor. Songs none of you probably know. I, I used to work hard to record those songs in a way off the radio, hoping that I wouldn't get the DJ talking over it. Just waiting for that right moment. Because that's how we used to, This is all before MP3s or computers. Uh, but that's how we used to do it. Because music is just such a huge part of, of culture, of my culture. And because of this, Songs will get stuck in my head all the time. Songs will come to my mind when I'm just observing life. It's, it's like I have a constant soundtrack in my head. I mention all this because as I was studying this week's passage, there were two songs that just refused to leave my mind. Unfortunately, these two songs were not songs that God is glorified by at all. They're not songs that I would consider beneficial for helping me prepare for today's message. And the, these are the two. The first one was I Work Out by LMFAO. And the second one was Shine Bright Like a Diamond or, or Diamonds by Rihanna. Because you know, verse 12, it tells us to work out our salvation. Verse 15 says we should shine in this crooked world. And so each time I reread this passage and considered, what should I focus on? God, what am I supposed to preach? These songs just kept playing over and over in my head. And I'll tell you this, those two songs do not work as a mashup at all. And, and, and it wasn't even the full song. It was just like one line in each song going over and over in my head. It was so annoying. So what I did is rather than fight it, I figured I'd look at the words, lyrics to I Work Out. And I figured if I, if I look at the words, I'll remind myself how inappropriate these lyrics are and I'd be able to move on and just, just focus on scripture. But uh, that's not what happened. And I have a sense, I, I can sense that there are probably people watching right now uh, who are moving towards their mouse on their computer or, or just staring at their phone incredulously thinking, uh, there's probably more than one person thinking this right now. Is he seriously going to use LMFAO to share the gospel? I am, kind of, 
because <laughs> I want you to hear me out. So here's, here's the chorus of I work out. Just, just, it's a little cleaned up. But it says, look at that body. I work out. When I walk in the spot, this is what I see. Everybody stops and they stare at me. And I know it's a stretch. And I know that neither LMFAO nor Rihanna's songs were intended to provide us any theological benefit or fruit. But they can point to a truth. A truth that Paul was trying to get at in this passage, which is, we work out so that we can shine bright like a diamond. We should want the world to look, stare at me, because that's how the gospel will be shared. I want to break this down a little bit by looking at um, the phrase, work out your salvation. In verse 12 and 13, this is what it says. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in just these two verses, there's three quick things I wanna, uh, that I think are important to note regarding Paul's command to, to work out. And the first one is this. Remember this. Paul's writing this letter to Christians. So working out our salvation is not referring to the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross that fully justifies those elect who believe in Jesus as the Son of God. Paul doesn't say that we need to work for our justification with God the Father. Rather, Paul's saying work out our sanctification. Work it out with the will. Work it out with the want of the Spirit of God. Work it out by following the example of the Son of God. Because we are justified by faith in Christ alone. We are sanctified by following Christ. There, there's three aspects of salvation that one has to consider. There's the past, there's the present, and there's the future. Salvation has happened, salvation is happening, and salvation will happen for the elect of God, for the beloved of God. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. See, our salvation has already Happen. We've been saved because of our faith. That's the past. Salvation's past. In First Corinthians chapter one verse eighteen, it says this: "For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." The redemptive act of of Christ on the cross is transforming us right. Now, in the present, we are being saved by the Savior right now. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. See, our salvation is not complete. Our salvation is coming. It's nearer. Our salvation will be perfected on the day that Jesus returns with his upside-down we're in this time called the already but not yet. We're in this time between Jesus' resurrection and his return. Salvation is completed in the future. So the past, 
the present and the future implications of salvation point to an understanding that salvation includes both the initial justification by Jesus and the ongoing sanctification by the Spirit of God. In other words, we don't work for our salvation, but we do work out our salvation. I want to share an analogy that I think that's been very beneficial for me to understand this. You know, have you ever received a gift that came with a set of instructions? You can't fully enjoy the gift uh, until that you've received until you follow those instructions to put the gift together, right? For my birthday, my wife bought, well, she, she allowed me to buy a, a lightsaber. And, and I'll tell you, when it arrived, my heart was yeah, all a flutter. I was, I was very excited. But I had to put it together. As soon as I finished following the instructions, there weren't that many, but that, they, they, they were provided, put it all together, the satisfaction of waving that saber in the air like I just didn't care. It was, it was awesome. I, I was, I'm not sure, though, that Suzette's as happy as me about having this in because I have no one to duel with, so I keep bopping her with it because it makes noise. I do it lightly. She doesn't get hurt, I promise. Um, but salvation is a gift. It's a gift that comes with instructions. And those instructions are right here in the Scripture. And the instructions tell us to work out, not, not to work for, to work out our salvation. The other thing I want to note about those two verses uh, is this. The command to work out, it is both personal and it is public. It, it's for you and it's for us. See, the letter, this is a letter to a church for the Christians in Philippi. And it's intended to be an encouragement towards unity in the body of Christ through, through humility to the body of Christ. The last thing I want to point out about these two verses before going deeper into today's message is this. I want to highlight that in these two verses, uh, working out our salvation is not something that I do by myself, but it is something I do. Verse 13 actually says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, the sanctifying work of salvation is both a gift I receive and an action I take. There's this theologian uh, from the 1700s, Brakel, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He, he wrote this, Believers hate sin, love God, and are obedient and do good works. However, they do this neither on their own nor independently from God. Rather, the Holy Spirit, having infused life in them at regeneration, maintains that life by his continual influence, stirs it up, activates it, causes it to focus in harmony with his spiritual nature. Another way to think of it is this. God works in us so that we can work out our salvation. God works within so we can work out. So, so the first point is that we're called to Work out. You can see why that song was stuck in my head. And we're called to work out so that we can shine bright like a diamond. But before I get to that shine bright part, I, I want to spend just a minute, uh, or more than a minute, talking about what working out looks like based on the scripture. What the instructions are that were left to us by Jesus through Paul for this gift we've received. What do the instructions for this gift say about putting it all together? 
And in verse 15, it says this, to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Paul, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he wrote the positive version of the same instruction. In verse 10, verse 31, chapter 10, verse 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we work out our salvation by bringing God all the glory. In everything we do, we work out our salvation by not grumbling or disputing. Now I'll tell you, Paul didn't spend a lot of time in this letter giving specific strategies, methodologies on how we should work out. He didn't say that you had to do quiet time first thing in the morning or, or, or versus right before you go to bed. He didn't say that you need to spend hours meditating on scripture in this passage or in this a letter or doing prayer walks every day. But these are all good things, by the way. They're beneficial in striving to be sanctified and drawing near to God. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. Actually, you probably should. But Paul's emphasis in this letter, in this passage, is that the joy of Jesus is based on the attitude I come with when I come to the Father. Paul's explaining that, that we are to, to work out, we're, we're to seek sanctification. By living a life without grumbling or disputing, we're to, we're to exercise our devotion with a focus on the external presentation and the internal transformation of our lives. If you read this, I believe that Paul is being very intentional, by the way, when he uses the word grumbling in this passage. Because the Greek for grumble is the same onopoetic word that's used in the Greek translation of, from the Old Testament that describes what the Israelites were doing in Exodus. Because here were the Israelites who had spent so much time crying out to God to set them free, let my people go. And when God does, they grumble. They, they complain. They start focusing so much on their inconveniences that they forget God. They focus so much on themselves and they forget Yahweh. They cry out, you know, we would have been so much better off if you just left us in Egypt to die. Grumbling is the external manifestation of a self-centeredness. And it's not limited to the Israelites, by the way, in the desert. Grumbling is the exhibition of our putting ourselves before the Almighty as well. And the perfect antithesis, the perfect example of what it looks like to work out salvation without grumbling is Christ. It's Jesus. Because that's who we're called to imitate. Who did Jesus, who did everything without grumbling, everything without mumbling or murmuring. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. It's a prophetic uh, word there. Speaking of Christ, it says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted. And he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that led to, the led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Not a word. Not a complaint. Not a murmur. Not a grumble. We're called to seek sanctification. By living a life without grumbling. Our external presentation is to be like Christ. Now the other half of the instruction in verse 15 tells us to not dispute. 
Now, another way to read that, if you look at the original, is to say, is to read it as that we're called to live without evil thoughts or without thoughts that go against God. That is to not dispute. So the internal workings are thoughts. These lead to oftentimes questioning God's sovereignty. That's what working out does not look like. Asking, God, what were you thinking in this? And I'll tell you, this is a much harder thing. Because sometimes it feels like where our mind goes is a little bit out of our control. Because our thoughts, they'll wander where they will wander. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I was looking at this passage, that I realized I constantly struggle with this in my marriage, which is remembering that Suzette, my wife, is always on my side. I want to explain, every once in a while, it may not be believable, but we fight. We have heated discussions about different topics, and she won't agree with me, amazingly, and, and she'll contradict me. And these thoughts will come into my head, which is, why is she against me? And in those moments, I have to pause. And I have to remind myself, tell myself, she's not. Suzette is always on my side. She may not agree with my approach. She may not agree with my ideas. But she's always considering me. And I'll tell you honestly, she's probably right anyway. So, and in the same way, God loves he is on my side. He wants me to find joy. He wants me to draw near to Him. And, and the way that God demonstrates that in my life and maybe in your life, it may not be what you want it to look like. It may not be what you expect. But, you know, like recently, God, you know, I asked a question. Did our church really have to deal with all these changes that we're having all at once? Did you really have to have Dave, Brian, Joe, Chris, Steve, James, Aaron, Otua, Gabor, and Grace, all of them all leave at seemingly the same time? Did that have to happen? But he's right. God is always right, and God has got a perfect plan that I may not understand, we may not understand, but we absolutely can trust. We're called not to dispute God. We're called to remember that the internal transformation is an essential part of the external presentation of our working out our salvation. I want you to consider this. The gospel tells us that we are de destined to be much better off than we deserve. See, for the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the gift that God has given to his beloved by the redemptive act of Jesus Christ on the cross is eternal life with God. We are so much better off than we deserve. But when we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of that good news, that gospel, when we lose sight of that joy, we grumble. We dispute. We start going down a dark, dark spiral of despair. But if we can keep our eyes on Jesus first, if we, if we remember that God did not count his status as Lord as a thing to be grasped, but rather gave up himself for us, if we love Jesus first, if we can remember that the Savior of the world created a community of sisters and brothers to encourage each other to journey in unity together, if these are the things we can keep in our line of sight, then the example of Christ's love without murmuring will be one we follow instead of the life of our own self-centeredness that includes grumbling. If we can keep, if we're able to keep this sight, insight, this amazing gift 
of Christ's death and resurrection for my sake, for your sake, then we can work out our salvation. So we're called to work out our salvation. Again, song stuck in my head. Uh, by not grumbling or disputing so that we can shine bright like a diamond. I'll tell you, the song is literally playing in my head right now. So, and that's my own fault because I keep repeating the phrase. But let me say it another way so that maybe I can get it out of my head and hopefully if I put it in yours, I, I apologize. If you don't know the song, don't look it up. Um, but here's another way to put it. We are called to seek sanctification by living a life without grumbling or disputing so that the world might know Jesus. Paul's instruction to shine bright is based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16, what it says there is this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now recently, uh, I've been learning more and more about Gen Z. Uh, and I'll tell you that the impetus for this desire on my part to learn about this newer generation uh, was when one sister in our congregation responded to something I, I did or said. I can't remember. He said, okay, boomer. And that person is just got married yesterday. So for those of you, you can figure it out. Uh, so I'm pretty sure she's not going to hear this sermon. But if she does, if you ever do, I'm not going to say your name, but it's all good. I, I actually love the fact that you called me a boomer because I feel like one. So it's all good. But it did inspire me and my wife Suzette to watch a bunch of videos to better understand this battle between millennials and Gen Zers. I, I'm neither. So, you know, it, from the fashion choices, I guess skinny jeans are not a thing, and uh, hair parts, and the language, and the emojis. Um, but the best set of videos I found was uh, something called the GZB, the Gen Z Bible Translation. And a, a millennial would read a passage, uh, and then a Gen Z would, uh, would translate it. And I'll tell you, I understood nothing that came out of the Gen Z's mouth, except for one. And it was absolutely perfect because it was Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. And according to the GZB, it is so, simply this, be salty and lit, bam. I was like, <laughs> that's great. Because we're called to shine bright like a diamond. So we are called to be salty and lit. We are called to live lives without grumbling so that we might shine as a light of hope to this world. So that the world might know who Jesus is by the life we live and by the words we say. I, I know it's ridiculous that I'm using LMFAO, uh, to, a song by them to help me craft this message. But we do want people to say, hey, look at that body. We want people to stop and stare. Because we're saved. And we know it. 